Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Taking Care of Business podcast. This is your host, Dan Trottencheck. And today we are talking paint, um, paint retailing to be more specific. Uh, I always like to get around and talk to kind of the movers and shakers, no pun intended, paint shaker, get it? Um, uh, in, in the industries we cover. And today we are talking to a gentleman who, if you run a paint and decorating business, uh, you are probably familiar with this guy. Uh, we are talking to Mark Lipton, who uh, Mark actually ran a paint business, family paint business for, for a number of years. And once he got out of that business, he, he continued to be involved in the paint industry. Uh, he would write articles uh, and, and just be kind of a, a man about town for paint retailers. And today, Mark is kind of a, a, a media guy in the paint industry. He uh, publishes a blog. He has his own podcast that I've been fortunate enough to be a guest on a couple of times. So I said, hey, Mark, why don't you come on and talk uh, paint, retailing, small business, family business with us on the Taking Care of Business podcast. And he graciously agreed to do that. So sit back and right after this word from our sponsor, we will be diving into our conversation with Mark. Live Oak Bank offers financing for hardware stores nationwide for refinance, acquisitions, expansion, and commercial real estate. Live Oak will support you with customized loan products focused on your success. Our hardware store loan experts embrace a creative approach to solving problems and surpassing goals. We understand the nuances of your business model and will help you avoid costly mistakes. Let's craft a loan solution that will help you thrive. Learn more at liveoakbank.com slash hardware dash stores. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I am here with Mark Lipton, the author of the Mark My Words podcast, longtime paint store owner. Mark, welcome to the Taking Care of Business podcast. Uh, welcome to the program. So glad to have you on. Thanks, Dan. Thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it. It's great to see you. You know, as I was trying to sort for the words to describe you to the audience, for those of you who, those of the audience who don't know you, it's kind of, you're kind of like a renaissance man in the, yeah. <laughs> in the paint industry. And so I was searching for those kind of words. Why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about your background? And what I always love is, is when folks like you, who kind of have come out of the trenches, if you will, I mean, you know what it's like to run a business, a small business, a retail business, and you know those headaches and you know those those hopes and fears. Why, why don't you Why don't you walk us through a little bit about your background and kind of the, how you got to what you're doing these days? Sure, sure. Thanks. Uh, before we get into that, just quickly speaking about the the fears of being a, a an independent paint retailer. I just got a text before we got on this uh, episode from a friend of mine asking me, "Aren't I glad?" Uh, to no longer own a paint store in the middle of February. And, <laughs> yeah. right. So, yes, I, I definitely know the experience. So, uh, Dan, thanks for having me on. My family, actually, my great-grandmother started uh, my family's independent paint stores, Tremont Paint, in 1907. Wow. Uh, grandparents and father and then I uh, got into it, and I was in it full-time from 1988 and all during that time, uh, I'd always worked as a uh, consultant as well as an advocate for independent retailers. I had written in the Paint Dealer magazine on topics uh, that ranged anywhere from education, how to run your business most efficiently, all the way up to advocacy uh, and how to help 
with uh, dealers' relationships with their manufacturers or other people in the industry. And then I sold the business in 2019, in October of 2019. I uh, didn't have any other Liptons uh, behind me to, to hand the business <laughs> off to. And uh, so we sold it to Genovic. And then the remaining part of my business, which I'm still engaged in, is uh, the Mark My Words podcast, which is all the content that I'm making for independent retailers, mostly paint. But now I'm starting to branch into hardware as well as lumber, as there's been a lot of changes in distribution models. And a lot of these dealers are really the same dealers now, uh, as sure. well as, uh, you know, a consulting practice as well. Yeah, and and I think it's interesting you say that is it's it's still relatively relatively new that our association you know is it seems relatively new but it's really coming up on a couple of years ago that we expanded our membership to go beyond hardware home center and lumberyards to include paint yep. decorating retailers and and one of the things when we first even kind of presented this idea to our board of directors is one of our board said something that that, that really echoes what you just said. And they said, you know, our DNA uh, as a hardware retailer, our DNA is way more alike with a paint dealer than it is different. So so this is such a great fit. And, and and it's interesting to hear you kind of echoing that now kind of in your own pursuits is there there's a lot more similar issues that these small business owners face together than there are, certainly are differences. That's correct. And one of the things that's really changed is who we're dealing with. Why I say before, it seems that paint dealers and hardware dealers and lumber are sort of becoming the same dealer. You know, uh, if I go back 20 years, uh, there were distributors just for paint dealers. And then even the manufacturers that were for paint dealers back then, Benjamin Moore, you wouldn't generally find that in a lumber yard or in too many hardware stores. But now fast forward and you have, uh, instead of companies uh, maybe regionally just supplying paint dealers, you have these big national, you know, Emory Jensen and Lancaster and all these big national sort of conglomerates. And they're dealing in all aspects of the independent channel. They're dealing in hardware, they're dealing in lumber. And they're dealing in paint. And so when the dealers you uh, uh, are talking to uh, are interested in information from their vendors and the vendors want to talk to that wider circle of people, that's why I've started adding, uh, you know, hardware and lumber when I say who I'm, you know, sort of marketing my right. products to. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, again, that, that similar DNA and some of the yeah. problems or challenges that are faced, it, it goes beyond the products. I mean, you, uh, you were gracious right. enough to just have me on, on your podcast. And, and we talked a lot about finding, hiring, retaining good employees. And, and whether you're running a hardware store in Keokuk, Iowa, or a paint store in, uh, you know, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, that's an issue you're dealing with. And as a small business, there's that commonality. So, so we definitely count you and what you're doing as being allied with, with our goals. And, and I think it's funny when you and I kind of first started communicating, I think that's one of the things that we bonded a little bit over is that, yeah, our, what you're working on every day looks a lot like what we're working on every day. So, so how are there ways we could kind of help spread messaging together? So, so we certainly consider you, and I know you're considered throughout the industry as an ally of the independent and and uh, we appreciate that well thank you yeah you know it always struck me dan that 
sort of the last piece of this is what you're selling, right? Yeah. So the culture that you create in your store, uh, the type of business that you want to be, uh, those are all the important parts about being an independent retailer. Uh, the products that you're actually selling, you know, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. One of the best selling products that I had in my, uh, you know, 30 years behind the counter was, believe it or not, somebody years ago, this is a 25 year old story. Somebody convinced me to take in these little butterfly kits, came with a little net for kids, and it, it came with a little egg or larva or whatever is the term. And the parents would put the larva in the water, and you know, a week later, you'd have a little net filled with butterflies. And we sold thousands of wow. them while we were able to get our hands on them. They stopped making them. Uh, but during that short period of time, we made a lot of money. You know, during that time, I was a butterfly retailer. <laughs> yeah. And and so to me, if you uh, uh, make your business uh, what you want it to be, it's not so important what items are going across the counter. Right. And, and, and that's a great point. I mean, I know we've had a conversation you know, throughout the years with hardware and home improvement retailers who who will share kind of some of their stories and they'll say, you know, I I'm I do a lot of business in hunting supplies or I do a great business selling yep. bicycles and 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 you know we we would write and cover these kind of stories and then we would you know receive occasionally that criticism of well aren't you telling these retailers to not be hardware retailers and my response was always when you trace the lineage of paint stores, of hardware stores back years and years and decades and decades, they were the general, you know, they were the stores that sold what their community wanted and needed. That's right. And so that's, again, more part of the kind of that evolutionary fabric of the industry. And so you're right. I mean, there's it's not that big of a stretch for your local home improvement paint store to sell something that's market responsive and, and bring those kind of products into the marketplace. So what, what a great story about you guys experience with that. And even within the paint industry, there are all these sort of micro segments, right? There's lots of different uh, types of business and even Tremont paint, my family's business really went through uh, sort of three different, uh, 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 personality changes to match okay. the owner at the time. My grandfather, uh, my grandfather Jack, was really just interested in in high volume, and he had connections uh, with all of New York City's largest painting contractors, uh, a lot of retail connections. And so, at the time of my grandfather's business, Tremont Paint had four box trucks, five vans, uh, you know, a, a room full of drivers, all making deliveries around New York City. My father came along. And wasn't really interested in having a million dollars out on the street all the time and and working on such low margins. And so he turned Tremont Paint into a, a paint and decorating store. Mm -hmm. They sold wallpaper and window treatments. And uh, he was more interested in the high margin uh, part of the business. And I came along and, and the business was there for me, but I wasn't all that interested in my father's decorating business. And so I got certified as a Mace uh, level three coatings consultant, and and I made industrial coatings okay. uh, an important part of my business. And so after me being there for a couple of years, Tremont Paint was essentially an industrial coatings uh, okay. distributor. And so that's the same business. And so uh, retailers are are free to uh, turn their businesses into whatever they want. And so that sort of makes what gets passed across the counter a little less relevant. Well, and I think what you just illustrated, again, really underscores the uh, 
the uh, market advantage that independent retailers can have is what you described was an evolving business that reflected the dynamic of the times you were in, but also the direction each one of the different owners felt would be best suited for the business. And, and in times like we're in right now, taking advantage of that kind of ability to change with the demands of the market or the vision of the owner is really the primary weapon in an independent retailer's arsenal is that ability to evolve. A hundred percent. And we've been bragging about that for years. We've been bragging about how uh, dynamic in a crisis independent retailers can be because we're small or how flexible we can be. And we're really starting to see that in, in some of the market now. A lot of independent paint retailers I know are starting to add hardware to their mix because uh, after the uh, so many lockdowns, after the uh, uh, COVID started to break around the United States, a lot of stores, paint stores around the United States were closed down. And so they find just by adding hardware, they can make it into this category of uh, what were they calling that for a while? Essential. <laughs> essential, right. You make it into that category of essential businesses and you're able to, uh, you know, stay open. Well, and it's not, it, you know, I would imagine there's a certain degree of this too. We saw an evolution on the lumber side of our business, you know, uh, for a long time. And still today, a lot of very successful lumber dealers operated selling, you know, with the old joke was they're selling sticks and bricks. And, right. and, um, as that business would show volatility with kind of the housing market, a lot of those retailers started saying, you know, why am I having contractors come in here to buy sheetrock and two by fours, but I'm sending them down the road to sell them a hammer and nails and, and, and trash bags to clean up the job site and all that kind of stuff. So we saw lumber yards start to uh, more and more lumber yards start to say, I'm going to broaden my selection of hand tools and power tools and cleaning supplies and all that kind of stuff. Because it was a market evolution. And, and it sounds like that's that's similar to what you're describing on the paint side. And we're seeing a lot of that now among paint dealers. We are. The pandemic has really changed uh, uh, people's perspective in terms of what their stores are capable of selling. Right. And so I'm interested to see how this sort of plays out over the coming few years. Well, you know, and you and I have talked about this before. The pandemic has you know, a lot of these changes, uh, a lot of the the things that we're seeing, uh, different ways of operating business, I, I think they were on the horizon, but the pandemic just really accelerated them. So now things that were, you know, oh, we're thinking that's three, four, five years down the road are, are really kind of front and center. And I'm going to talk to you more about that with one of the things that you're doing. But before we get into that, I want to ask you a couple questions, you know, as a someone who grew up, in a family business, someone who mm -hmm. ran, was handed the mantle of that family business and lived that retail family business lifestyle. I want to ask you three questions. One, what do you miss most about being in the family business and running a retail operation day to day? Well, that one is easy to answer because I, I just had lunch yesterday uh, with a manager who was with me for all of my uh, 25 years as the owner. I worked for a few years with my father in my 30 or so years. Uh, he was with me for all of the 25 years. And, you know, now obviously I don't see him every day anymore. But we were talking about that. Yeah, I. Uh, some of my closest friends were my customers. Some of my closest friends were my employees. 
uh, uh, some of my closest relationships for me as a paint dealer were with, you know, the people in the paint industry in New York. That was Benjamin Moore and Pacoa. Uh, and so I had relationships with all those people that were now, you know, I don't want to say they're ripped from my life, but now I, I work in my house in an office upstairs. You know, I don't see anybody coming up to buy any gallons <laughs> of paint, 150 customers a day or however many we were seeing. And so you miss that interaction. And definitely I see that as it relates to my writing. Uh, you know, I do a blog every Monday and for sure not being in a paint store makes it a little bit more challenging to come up right. with ideas that would be interesting for a uh, paint dealer. So I, I definitely miss that time uh, with the people, with the cans themselves uh, talking about paint. I, I, I wish I had more of that. You know, uh, I'm really enjoying uh, the path that my life took. As a matter of fact, I, I put myself on this path. I think you and I talked about this once before. I was looking to get out of the business when I did. So I'm happy where I landed, but you, you definitely miss what you leave behind. Well, the kind of counter to that question is what do you miss the least about being in that business daily? Well, February's in the winter in New York, <laughs> I'll tell you, is, is definitely one thing that I miss the least. You know, we used to uh, play cards uh, sometimes it would get so slow. We would open up the rolls of dimes that we would have for the register. And, and we would sit there and we would play poker uninterrupted for hours. And, and that's what it can be like sometimes in a paint store, particularly uh, in New York City. Uh, that's, how it can, uh, that's how it can be like. And winters were really tough. Uh, I, I never really enjoyed uh, uh, the stress of trying to sort of coax emotionally the business through an, another winter. And so I, I definitely don't miss that. You know, the, the stress of probably the biggest stress I had as a retailer, nobody likes taking care of the money. Uh, money is stressful for everybody, as it was for me as well. But probably the biggest stress was, was managing the people and, and making sure that you know, somebody is there every day when they're supposed to be there, that the doors get opened at seven o'clock, that the right. trucks get started and warmed up and sent out on time. That was a lot of stress that I, I no longer have. And so even though it's true, we're talking about people that I cared a lot about and, and miss having in my life. It's it's nice not to have to be responsible for that key being in the door <laughs> at 7 a.m. on six days a week. The, the last question as it relates to all of that is, do you think these last 24 months, I, I mean, you know, I have, I've quoted this several times talking to a retailer. He said, you know, they've been the best two years and they've been the most difficult two years. Do you yeah. think, do you kind of, do you, do you wish you were involved? I mean, do you, is it something you've kind of looked at from the sidelines and said, man, I kind of wish I was out there in the fray or are you kind of uh, the opposite side saying, I, I, you know, times like this, I'm glad I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, yeah. You know, I've done a lot of writing over the course of my life uh, in my blog and in the paint dealer, even before I started blogging a couple of years ago, uh, about crisis management. It's an area where I've had a fair amount of experience and even some expertise and some training. And so there's part of what's happened in the last 24 months that makes me look at that and think, you know, I really could have excelled yeah. because I know how to manage a crisis. And so uh, at a time when paint dealers are growing very quickly, you know, 20, 25 percent uh, is sort of what the, the independent paint channel 
you know, sort of experienced yeah. in 2022. I always think like I could have done 35 or 40 percent, but I'm so glad that I never had to prove that <laughs> yeah. because every paint dealer I know has worked so hard in the last two years that I don't care how much yeah. money they've made. It's they can they can have it. It's all better off without me. Yeah. Well, l let's talk about the paint industry for a minute. And, and then I want to kind of get into, you know, the path that you've taken and, and what you're doing these days. But but let's talk for a second about what do you see? I mean, you know the industry from the inside and you have friends. I know you still have friends and contacts that you're regularly uh, associating with. What are some of the challenges right now that you think are kind of top uh, of the list for these independent paint dealers? There's really two that come to mind right away. The, the biggest problem that I find dealers that I'm speaking with are having is getting their hands on people, right? Yeah. right? And, and, and most of these businesses that, uh, that we're talking about have all grown, like I said, 20, 25%. Think about businesses that were busy at the oh. time, right? When 2019 and 20 came around, these businesses were already uh, sort of setting records. And then all of a sudden, uh, they grew 20 and 25%. And so uh, the dealers that I'm speaking with, which is, you're right, I still speak to probably a couple dozen a week, I would guess, maybe a little bit less than that, but quite a few uh, independent retailers. And uh, they're they're all telling the same story. They're having problems finding people. They're looking for advice on on how to get their hands on people and how to keep the people that they have I had an, a really interesting conversation the other day with a dealer who's was telling me that he's started to pay so much more to get people to come to work for him because of the environment that he's concerned about the spread between his what his new hires make and what his more experienced sure. people make, right? And so there's all sorts of challenges that dealers are facing uh, associated with people right now. And then the the other problem that they're having is stability of supply and and i'm sure that on the hardware side uh, uh you know that this has been a sort of an ongoing problem with the supply chain but on the paint side it's been exacerbated by a couple of things that the hardware side probably didn't experience you know that storm in february oh, yeah. really threw the entire manufacturing of coatings uh, uh sort of up into the air and it became, you know, chaos. And so most of the dealers uh, that that I'm talking to are still, even though it's true, things are settling down some, they're still struggling. They're still spending a lot of time every day uh, buying product where they're spending an hour to, to get their hands on something that used to be just put it on a purchase order and, you know, fax or email it into the manufacturer and it showed up the next day. So they're they're really struggling with finding uh, materials still. Yeah, and that's one of the one of the uh, unfortunate realities of where we are right now in the supply chain is all of these yep. reasons that it's so stressed and have and it's become so fragile right now. Something like a storm, something that it could normally weather yep. because of the fragile position it's in right now. That 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 is only made that much worse and. And believe me, I, I I can tell you the same thing from the paint dealers that I talk to, um, you know that that concern over 
how am I going to get those cans on my shelves right now is, 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 you know, certainly right up there. I, I think you're, you're definitely hearing the same things we hear. Um, uh, we just did a survey of, of, of members not too long ago. And the top two concerns were you hit them right on the nose, employee concerns and supply chain concerns. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's interesting is that uh, the, the customer, the consumer of the paints, uh, because of the support, uh, because of the supply chain issues and the shortages, is becoming uh, much more comfortable with the idea of substitution. So, listen, I've always used this product from Benjamin Moore. I've got 200 gallons of it on this job that I'm doing, but I need to finish the job, and I understand that they're out of it. In a circumstance where a customer would never have replaced, you know, that product or that specification, they're now suddenly very willing to. And, and while that's good news for the dealers, because uh, uh, they're able to keep their businesses growing and supply that customer, the bad news is they have to go out and source that material, right? Where it used to be the customer would say, okay, well, I'll wait. It's only going to be a week. I'll schedule some other things around it. But now with dealers saying, I have no idea when that product is going to go back into stock, their customers are telling them, well, go find me a replacement. Yeah. And that's put a, a, a large burden on the actual dealers themselves. You know, the the uh, most dealers in this country are still on the smaller side. There are obviously many big ones popping up around the United States. But that four, five-store dealer and smaller, those those dealers are, are all buying, for the most part, their own materials. They're, they're all doing their own purchasing. Right. It's only once you get bigger than that, that you'll have a, a purchasing department filled with employees. And so what's happened is a lot of this has put uh, a lot of the need to start sourcing materials differently has put a tremendous strain on the individual dealers who are all working much harder. Well, then you add to that the fluctuation in in acquisition cost and price. That's just a nature of a lot of the commoditized items. And, that's and right. you know, that that's that that's part of that challenging part that has come along with that 20 to 25 percent increase in sales is is you have people that, that like you said, it was kind of push button ordering. Uh, I'm going to click off on my invoice, send it through and, and then expect it on the truck next week, having to spend hours and hours replacing product, substituting product, finding different vendors, whatever it might be. Then you get your sheet in and now you, you found out you, you got to do it. If you're going to maintain your margins, you're going to have to make hundreds of price changes. <laughs> and now you got to yep. get out there and, and all of those and none of those things, I should say, is directly related to the things that the independent retailers do so well that that personalized customer service, that working with the contractors to to help them estimate their jobs and to, and to and to help them get the products they need to, to make their jobs easier. So. So I, I am totally with you. I don't know that, that um, you know, I don't know what the trade-off is, but listening to guys like you that were in it before and you could see those kind of upside to the, to the increase in sales, I, I might be with you. I don't know if that would be worth the headaches uh, yeah. that are out there right now. But that, all that being said, yeah. I, I want to I touch on the flip side of that with you is what are you seeing right now that you, you look at these independent paint dealers and, 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 and home improvement in general, and you're saying, you know, for all the challenges, these are some of the big opportunities that are out there for you guys right now. Yeah. Well, here's the good news. There are a lot of opportunities for all the efforts uh, uh, that dealers have had to make. 
there are a lot of opportunities in front of them and, and more so than usual because most of them have the money to fund the expansion. Right. And that's what really creates the opportunity, right? And, and, and so it's nice to say, well, you, a, a, a dealer with five stores always has an opportunity to open up a sixth store, right? That sort of always exists. The pandemic didn't create that. No, but the pandemic put an extra 300000 in their pocket. <laughs> yeah. And so now are you going to spend that uh, on another store? And so the big opportunities that I see, at least in my channel, which is where I'm spending most of my time, as you know, is paint dealers. Uh, the biggest opportunity I see is expansion into uh, two areas. One is either store count, which a lot of dealers I know right now uh, are trying to hire as many people as they can so that they can increase their store count. And then the other opportunity is expansion within your stores themselves. Right. Okay. I mentioned before about uh, how my grandfather and father and I had very different uh, sort of businesses that uh, we like to run. But if I were to still own a store now, I might be thinking about bringing all three of those businesses under one roof. Really good point. Right. So so that I could have a solid industrial business, which was what Mark Lipton liked to do. I could have a solid commercial business, which is what my grandfather, Jack Lipton, used to like to run. And I could have a good decorative, high margin wallpaper and window treatment business, which was more to my father, Billy's liking. Yeah. And so there are a lot of dealers that came into this two years ago, came into this economic period two years ago, that were really just one of those. And now they have the opportunity to uh, uh, look at all of those other choices. And I think a lot of them are, are doing that. And uh, my own opinion is that when this whole thing sort of settles down and we get back to normalcy, my sense is that this channel is going to be significantly bigger in terms of dollar volume. Mm -hmm. And that the players who are left, there are some who are negatively affected by this, but that the players who are left uh, are going to be significantly stronger. Yeah, I, no doubt. I, I mean, I think that we've all gone through this this um, uh, trial by fire, if you will, of the last couple of years. It's forced yeah. us to kind of look at things in a different way. And as we're coming out the other side of that, exactly what you said is that the upside is the lot of the retailers that have made it through that grinder and had to had to uh, evolve their businesses as 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 a result of it are now capitalized to a point because of those windfalls to kind of make some of the changes more permanent uh, yep. than 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 they've perhaps had to string it together over the last few years, and so that might be a good transition too, Mark, to talk a little bit about. The, the the new Mark Lipton two going yeah. from uh, from day to day mixing paint, filling trucks, shaking hands, and kissing babies in the paint store to uh, you, you know kind of your evolution into the Mark My Words podcast and the blog and something very uh, different that you're doing as well is is obviously consulting with retailers, but but also hoping uh, focusing on helping them with their kind of online uh, efforts. So so let's start a little bit, just kind of talk us through like what you do and how you, how did you get involved with the podcast and blogging and, 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 and how did that become more of a passion for you? And, and tell us a little bit about what you're doing in those areas. So like, like everything else, 
for anybody who does anything in public, like a, a writer does, a lot of times it starts for most of us with ego, right? <laughs> yeah. And and uh, a, a long time ago, uh, I wrote a letter to uh, uh, the Paint Dealer magazine, and I this was probably nineteen, I don't know, ninety or so. Uh, with some thoughts that I had about a condition that was going on that was affecting Benjamin Moore retailers. And uh, uh, they published it. And I got a call from uh, uh, the CEO of Benjamin Moore. Could I come in and see him? I got a call from a number of dealers all around the United States. And I liked the attention. And so I, I started writing. And uh, I became friendly with the editor of editor of the magazine and he liked what I had to say. And so it became a regular thing. And I did that for about 25 years, once a month. And when the magazine closed, I'll tell you a funny story is Leanne uh, Day still. Yeah. Yeah. Leanne Day is still, she, she's our right. uh, uh, outreach director for the paint side of the industry. Yep. Former, former head of the PDRA. Right. And she and I were on the phone once when the paint dealer magazine closed and she was asking me, what are you going to uh, do now? What are you going to write? And I said, well, I would write for your magazine if you like. And she went on to explain that, you know, sometimes I'm a little controversial. And so <laughs> I don't know that uh, we would be the right place for you. But she says, well, why don't you write a blog? And at the time, I, of course, heard the word, but I had no idea what a blog was. Right. So I, I went out and I started a blog on her advice. And uh, the next thing you know, I recognized that a lot of people were following along and that there was a lot of interest in that content. And so I started writing more frequently. I went from once a month to once a week. And no matter how much content I put out there, there seemed to have been an audience for it. And so, listen, obviously I'm a ham, right? I'm, I do podcasts. I write for a living. I speak. So obviously I'm a ham. And so I, I started doing other things. I started doing podcasting and dealers were listening. Dealers were writing. They were saying, uh, can you do something about this topic or that topic? And so the more content I started creating, the more I realized I really enjoyed creating content. Yeah. And so that channel expanded. I'm still writing my blog once a week. But that channel has expanded to uh, the podcasting, which I, I actually have three or four different podcast channels and, and I'll be adding more as well. And, and so I really enjoy uh, that part of my uh, sort of retirement, for lack of a better term. I can do it from home. Uh, I get to stay in contact with dealers, uh, the people that I have on. You've been a guest. I've had dealers, other uh, uh, executives from the paint and sundry companies, distributors. So it's the same circle of people uh, that I've always been dealing with. And so it feels very comfortable to me. And, uh, and I, I love doing the, the content creating. It's, it's sort of like writing, but a different style of writing. And, and then I get to act a little bit. And so I think that that's going to continue to, to, to grow for me. And then the, the last part of my business, which you alluded to, was the revolution, which uh, is my solution. It's a, an e-commerce solution uh, for made specifically for independent paint retailers. And I've been working on that for about a year now. Uh, as a matter of fact, I just saw the final product for the first time about two or three days ago. We'll probably be releasing it within the next 30 days or so. But basically what I've built uh, is a platform where an independent retailer can log in and, and click a button that says, yeah, I'd like to have an e-commerce site. 
And you can just pick what products you sell from Benjamin Moore or C2 or Pittsburgh or whatever you have, what products you sell, what color displays you want, and what sundries you want, and then click the button, yes, and, and 30 minutes later, you have a live e-commerce site uh, branded to your business. What, uh, you know, let's stay on that for a second, because you and I were just talking about this offline, is that is that when you talk about, and I'll tell you, I, I, I'm talking about this a lot, when you talk about opportunities for independent retailers, I think there is such an opportunity. I am so tired of, of hearing this conversation about how are independent retailers possibly going to compete with some of these companies that have these big online presence. And I honestly think there's such an opportunity for independent retailers to own that online world. If they can, if they can figure out how to, how to uh, manage and maintain e-commerce, all of those other things that, that independent retailers do so well are, are lend themselves so well to integrating that into part of your overall business. So that's one thing is I think that it's that it's that it's a great opportunity for independent retailers. But the other part of that is what you and I were talking about is it's not a choice anymore. Um that's consumers right. know that and you know we were talking about the term omnichannel and I, and I told you a story about recently I had someone kind of admonish me for using that term omnichannel and saying we got to break free from this concept of omnichannel. It's just retail it's just your physical store is one aspect of it. Your online presence is another aspect of it. Your sales team is another aspect of it. It's all part of doing it. It's, you know, kind of the table stakes for being a retailer today. And, and after he said that, I was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. And, and so, so how timely this is with what you're doing to, yeah. to get help retailers say, you know, get past that objection of, well, I can't do it. It's a, what, what, how can I handle that technically? One of the things that, that retailers need to understand is that the customer that now wants to come into their store just in time to pick up an order or pick the final color and then get the paint and get out. But the customer that used to want to come into the paint store, spend an hour and leave, the dealer needs to understand that same customer wants to come into their store, but they only want to do it for five or 10 yeah. minutes. Right. And, and so if the rest of that sales process, that 50 minutes has been cut out by the customer, the dealer needs to replace what happened in that process through some sort of online means. So the customer who says, well, I don't want to come into your store uh, to spend the entire hour. So then you need to teach them online the difference between interior eggshell and interior semi-gloss because that's something that they would normally do in your store. You need to teach them online the difference between premium paints, super premium paints, or commercial paints because that's used to happen in that hour in your store. And so you need to build websites that can manage all of that, that can support all of that, even if your customer is still intending on ultimately coming into your store. Because what happens is all of these sales now are starting online, right? We've all seen the data. 90% of everything purchased in the United States starts with a Google search. And I, I'm kind of casual the way I say Google, but with a, with a search engine search. 90% of all the commerce in the United States is now starting that way. 
And so if you if your customer goes looking for a can of Benjamin Moore paint, for an example, because that's a lot of the people that are listening to my work are the Benjamin Moore dealers. Uh, if your customer goes online and looks for a can of Benjamin Moore paint and the best website to shop Benjamin Moore is one town over, that's who's going to get yeah. the sale. Because in the end, they're only jumping in the car for five minutes just to pick it up. It's okay if they run uh, an extra five minutes out of their way because the whole thing is that transaction is going to be very quick and painless for them. And so dealers need to have presence if they want to protect the brands that they've built uh, within their markets. But even beyond that, the online gives them the ability uh, to be present in other markets. So I've got I've got one customer who has sold. Uh, I'll have to uh, keep some of this to myself, but he sold over fifty thousand dollars of a specialty coating in a in a market two hundred and fifty miles away from his store. He's done that in six months since putting up his website. And the reason he's done that, well, it turns out there's a market for this product two hundred and fifty miles away, and there's no dealer there. Yeah, and. So what an opportunity, right, to find out all of those that exist around your business. And that's what that's what e-commerce does. It really gives you an opportunity uh, to grow your business into even market segments uh, that don't necessarily exist for you. So a customer that uh, a dealer that may have a little bit of, uh, uh, let's say, even a hardware dealer that may have one or two barbecues can now online have the entire Big Green Egg and Weber and everything available to them. Uh, and, and there are customers looking for that stuff locally and dealers who think, well, I can't stock all of that, so that won't help me. No, these customers are used to waiting now. This is the new way we do business. Click a button and it'll show up the next day. They don't know if it shows up from the Weber warehouse or from your store down the street, mm -hmm. nor do they care. And so e-commerce is what's going to open up all of those opportunities to dealers. Well, and it kind of reminds me as you're talking through that of the old, uh, you know, uh, contest tagline must be present to win. And it's kind of the same way in this era when it comes to retail. If you're not, if you're not moving your store and your brand into that online sphere, you're not present. And there is going yeah. to be a time that if you're not present, someone else is going to fill that void. And, and once that void's filled, why would a customer go back? It, you know, it just becomes harder to dislodge that. If you're not making yourself available to be found online, then I'm curious where your customers will find you. Do you think that your customers are still driving around the neighborhood and saying, oh, there's a paint store over there. I'll, I'll remember that for the next time I need a paint store. No, people don't think like that anymore. They may even notice your paint store there, but still when they need a can of paint, they're going to go to Google, they're going to find what they need, and then they're going to buy it from the dealer that represents it best online. So are you telling me, Mark, that the yellow pages aren't the number one source? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's, it, you know, I appreciate the joke, but the truth is, 30 years ago, Dan, yeah. how would anybody have found you without the yellow You're absolutely pages? right. It was the Google and you would have the time. That's right. That's right. And so you would have told the dealer back then, listen, you don't have to be in every yellow pages. You don't need to have display ads in every one. You need a strategy, but you need to be in it 
because otherwise, how will people find you? And I tell them the same thing. If you're not getting the attention of Google, how are people going to find yeah. you? It, well, and, and when I've spoken on this subject before, one of the things I always like to do is take out my phone and say, you know, if I'm if I'm at an event or a conference and you're in a new city, I'll say, hey, you guys are all in Dallas or you're all in Denver, wherever we are. And so you want to go out to a, a unique, fun restaurant tonight. How are you going to find that restaurant? All of you guys are going to take out the phone and you're going to Google, you know, Brazilian steakhouses in downtown Denver and you're going to find your options and you're going to choose the one you want to go to. What about that one that isn't online or isn't high in the search? They're not going to get found unless someone wanders That's by right. or whatever, you know. And so, I mean, I think we've evolved beyond having to have the conversation with retailers about the need to be online. Now, I think like with services like what you offer, the next question, hopefully, that we're just answering more is, how do I bridge that? How do I do that now? Well, you have to offer everything online that you would offer in your store. So one of the things that uh, my platform is working on is, is getting integrations so that uh, dealers can deliver paint locally without necessarily uh, uh, interrupting their business uh, and their current flow. So, for example, uh, there are companies out there that do like sort of a last mile of delivery. We're integrating with oh. them so that when an order comes into uh, your store through our system, we immediately, as soon as you hit the button that says this order is prepared uh, digitally, a message goes out to uh, the one we use is dispatch it, but they're all over the United States to this dispatch it that says, hey, Mark Lipton's got an order. It's ready. It needs to be picked up and it needs to be delivered to Dan Trottencheck. Yeah. And 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 then that happens instantly, automatically with Dan footing the bill for that and the dealer not having to uh, figure out integrations to how do I get this right. to my shipping department? How do I tell the store manager? They don't have to worry about any of that. Any employee can put it in a box and hit the button that says this order is done and then the rest of it just comes. And so dealers are going to have to be prepared to look at their businesses and find a way to take nearly every service they have. And this includes even color selection. This will be interesting to see where the technology goes. But everything that happens in your store ultimately is going to have to be able to happen somewhere else. Interesting stuff, Mark. And, and as usual, when you and I get talking, I, I mean, I think yeah, you we, and I share some of the same uh, traits, but when we get talking, 45 minutes goes by pretty quick. So with that, I'm going to thank you for being on the program. But but before we get off the uh, show here, where can people learn more about the Mark My Words podcast? Where can people learn more about uh, following your uh, blog uh, and and more about what you guys are doing with Ecom? Well, Thank you. First off, Dan, for having me on. I always appreciate our conversations very much. Uh, you can go to marklipdenpaint.com and, and everything is there. I have a YouTube channel. I have websites for the revolution and the other pl the platform that I'm building. But if you just go to marklipdenpaint.com, you can see everything there. You can sign up for the blog and uh, come visit. Send me an email. There's a contact me. Let me know what you'd like me to write about and I'll start making content for uh, uh, for your dealers as well. Hey, thanks so much, Mark. As always, great time talking to you. And thanks for uh, being on the program. Thank you, Dan.
Nearly 200 retailers have asked us to notify them when other retailers decide to sell their businesses. If you are considering options for exiting your business, NHPA's Retail Marketplace can help you find motivated buyers in the industry. Or maybe you are on the other end of the spectrum and you're looking for new opportunities to grow. Sign up for notifications to be among the first to know when retailers decide to sell. Learn more at yournhpa.org slash marketplace.